You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. This is the Comedian's Comedian podcast. And today I'm talking to Rialina, who, and we can't skate over this. I'm not going to sort of gag my way into it. But she has three degrees in forensics, pathology and virology and is an extremely smart cookie. And towards the end, is a smart cookie a phrase? Um, towards the end of this interview, we will talk about, um, well, we I invite Ria to uh, lend her analytical mind to um, to working out some of the challenges with the comedy circuit. So look forward to that. Broadly speaking, we're going to, well, we, we start off talking about her kind of sensational career breakthrough that's happening in the moment by way of working out the different types of preparation required for her appearances on Mock the Week, Have I Got News For You, and QI. We're going to talk about why it's so addictive that a comedy career has no end point. And also there are some charming thoughts uh, from Ria about how the recent increase in diversity on the circuit, um, a mild increase, we should say, uh, gave her an insight into becoming more distinct and rich a persona. So we also talk a little bit about bodies washing up on shores, but that's to be expected. 25 minutes of extra content available to the Insiders Club at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Uh, Include Ria with some excellent advice to newer comics and a bit of a conversation, a bit of an investigation into which social media platforms suit which characters. So lots to enjoy there. This is Rialina. Rialina, given that we are sitting here in the uh, the QI TV podcast studios and you know the guy that let us in here because you've recently taped QI, can we talk about that? Can we you, can. Can you tell us about your experience of it without giving anything away because it hasn't gone out yet and we don't know when it goes out? Oh, good point. Yes. Yeah, so so what, what, what can you tell us whilst following parameters that neither of us fully understand about what you should and shouldn't say? <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely didn't sign an NDA, but you're right. There are there are boundaries to what can be said. Well, I was on with um, Jimmy Carr. He was on my side mm-hmm. of the table. And obviously Sandy was hosting. And then Alan and Ishan Akbar. Great. And it was my first time. And it was. In, it, I think there's certain shows you do that are really exciting because you've grown up with them or you've watched them your entire career going, oh. Uh, and so for me, it was it was really special to do it. But also it was right after we were recording right after Jimmy's little joke hiccup. Sure. You know, well, is that? Oh, no, yeah, you're no, going to write and go, hiccup, he should be cancelled. Yeah, well, depending but, on what year people listen to this, they'll go, oh, it was that one or oh, that which, one or yes, that one. Or yes, that one. <laughs> precisely. Which, which hiccup? Um, well, the one I say hiccup only because it hasn't his career barely faltered sure i think um but it was the one that he did about um 
it was the one where he talked about the Romans, the, you mm-hmm. know, the travelers, but in World War II. Yeah. And the backlash that he got from that, which I thought was very interesting because Jimmy Carr, Carr is a traveler name and he comes mm-hmm. from a traveling community. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can't go to Butlins. That's on the banned list of, of names. So I thought that, so it was there. So we weren't sure before the recording how the audience would react to him, whether the audience would be like, ooh, can't okay. believe it's you or whether they, They'd be all right with it, um, and uh, they were they were fine with him. I mean, yeah. obviously, they introduced him last so that he, they, no one had to follow that cheer. <laughs> uh, and it was just it was. That's an interesting that uh, because it's your first time on that massive kind of it's like a keystone show, isn't it? Mm. Or what's the phrase? I don't know what the phrase is, but it's like one of the big ones, isn't it? it you watch it as a it's kid. One of the, it's one of the largest. It's the largest studio audience I've ever recorded a TV show in front of. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, you do mock the week and, and even have I got news for you and it's, you know, and you go, oh, okay, we've got audience in, they will provide laughter. Thank you so much for coming. This was, oh, this is a spectacle. It was huge. I mean, I don't think I've done gigs to that many people <laughs> on a regular basis <laughs> where you go, oh, wow. Okay. All right. This and, is a difference. And what is your, what's your state of mind backstage about to do such a big TV gig? Because those sorts of gigs are a relatively new thing for you, right? Like you, we're yes. experiencing a, you're having a breakthrough time, right? This is like, oh, suddenly everyone's getting serious about as opposed, to, as opposed to like, you An know, a, <laughs> yeah. a, a blip or a hiccup. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that hiccup when Rhea showed up on TV for a couple of years? Um, yeah, these are all, so they're all new and every show is different. And, and you have, you know, in comedy, you're told, okay, work hard, do you get good on the circuit and then hopefully these things will come to you. And then when they do come, you go, Oh, this is, this has nothing to do with the circuit, does it? This has nothing to do with the skill set that you're, that we hone, uh, and, and work on, um, for, for years on end. It's, it, it, some of it is a very different skill set. There are obviously things that translate, obviously your ability to write jokes and your ability to be funny on the fly, all of that counts. But suddenly even little things like I've spent my entire comedy career standing up. And now they're going, can you sit down and be funny? And I'm going, ah, oh, this is different. This that's is my, I'm huge. Not, I'm not used to, I, when I sit down, that's it. I'm, I'm after the gig. I don't even sit down much before a gig. I will stay standing, 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 go out, do my thing, and then sit down after the gig. So when you sit down and then go, and now you're on, you go, oh, no, my, no, the blood's not in the right, blood's to different places in that's the body. That's a really interesting observation, of course. Okay, were you wearing shoes? <laughs> like, what is it? Yeah. Like, well, what was your kind of attempt? I know, and to... <laughs> that's the other thing that you learn is dress from the waist up. Because, yeah. you know, you go, you put together an outfit for stage, and again, you're thinking about the full picture, and, yeah. oh, you know, boot, what, 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 what even do my shoes say? Because when I, I wear boots mostly on stage, but occasionally if it's maybe an early week gig or it's new material, I might wear trainers. But it is a diff- it's different feel. It, puts you in a different mindset i'm in a di- you know i'm presenting a different image whereas on tv most yeah. of it it's it's the waist up and then you go then you have to zoom in and i don't wear jewelry i don't wear jewelry on a daily basis i don't even have a, a wedding ring but suddenly now i've got a jewelry collection because this is suddenly how i have to to uh, present myself or express myself is in little things like oh, be- because earrings. so when you say that's how you have to do it that's like on your terms that, sorry, because you don't have the option of yes. like I yeah, mean, you, you don't have to wear earrings when you do QIs, do if you don't sure. want to. It's not a... Thank you, I appreciate that. But you do you. Um, and so it was one of the things that, that evolved was, I mean, even choosing how to style myself. I remember uh, before, was it before the, my first mock, my agent and I went, I went, what am I going to wear? 
Oh, not my first mock. My first mock, we did it in lockdown and there was no choice. I had to go with something in my wardrobe. Second mock, we went, I said, can we not end up stuck like that again? Which I know is a very female thing to say, but you want to, you want to celebrate the occasion and wear something new. And we went shopping and we would look and I'd go, oh no, I can't, no, I can't wear that. Josie, Josie wears those things. Oh no, no, that's very much Rosie Jones. That's where, oh no, that's Carrie Pritchard McLean. We'd go uh. through and you would just go, you would see how many styles and, and different things of clothing have been, have been owned by other comics and you don't want to step on their toes. You go, yeah. no, Carrie's fabulous. Let's, let's let her fabulous. Let's not clash with that and trying to find your own style and where do you fit in with it and, yeah, I I put that much effort into stuff I wear, but only because I hate shopping and worrying about my appearance. And I have like, like none of that is imposed upon me by society. <laughs> to me, because obviously in that situation, men just get to wear a suit. I'm done. It, well, it, exactly. And the I'm amazed, but I get every time I go on television, someone will comment on what I'm wearing. Yeah. So you might. So knowing that that's going to happen, I embrace it and go right. Let's make sure that. You know, let's, and, and I've started, and Ashley B is, is really, uh, the person that I have to give credit to for this because she's very socially and, and morally aware of what she's doing and she's trying to do as much, uh, recycled clothing as possible. And I, and so I'm trying to follow in her footsteps. Mm. So I'm now going vintage and a lot of what I'm buying is vintage. Then I'll ask somebody, you know, a stylist or seamstress to alter it to my size. Okay. So that, you know, because if I was, constantly going for fast fashion the guilt the guilt is too much hey where did you get that and you go from some small child in bangladesh yeah and yeah you can't yeah so how are you, are you the sort of person who everything needs to be right before you walk on like do you need to does it do you need to have really thought about the outfit really not just the outfit not just visually but do you need to be completely prepared to walk on for such a big tv gig like that or is it like you need to be in the right space mentally or is it, does it not matter? It all switches on when the camera's on. How about all and none of the above? It's all and none of the above. So the outfit is secondary. I mean, that is a thought process that I found that I have, that I have to give um, time and respect to because, you know, I mean, well, you, you, you do get to choose your own style if you want to. If I wanted to go in and with dungarees and a, and a ponytail, that's my choice. I, I could do that. But um, I did choose the style that I now have, which is, like I said, the jewelry and the hair is done and everything else. But that's secondary to the material. That, first and foremost, is the biggest thing. And there are times where I feel like I've done two, three days of prep for this and I still don't feel ready, especially when you're doing something, not maybe not QI, but topical stuff mm. where you might be going on, with, like, have I got news for you? There's always going to be a journalist on there and they've lived eaten and breathed these stories for years and you're going to come in and go i've read for three days let me tell you what i think <laughs> you know i've skimmed the times article and uh and and so i find that quite intimidating because i don't want to be i don't want to be that person you know the equivalent of the person on twitter who goes well i have an opinion it doesn't matter if i'm ill-informed yeah. I, you don't want to be that on, but at the same time, you do have a responsibility to contribute something of intelligence to the show. So that for me is those preps. I'm hugely into that kind of prep. So with QI, which is right, they, you can't really prep for QI because they're not going to, you know, the whole point is to discover the answers together with the viewer. You know, if, if anything, Sandy's got answers or she's going to lead you on a journey and your job is to be there on behalf of the viewer to go, wow, really? And obviously contribute something. So so in that regard, it was very exciting to do the show, but it was also in some ways less pressure 
then something like Mock the Week or Have I Got News for You because the idea was just have fun, in which case you do need to relax into it and go, let's just have fun. Mm. And, um, and it was, uh, without giving away, our episode was definitely a multi-sensational um, experience okay. because of some of the rounds that we did. And, and it was, and actually that really helped to just go, you know what, let's just, yeah, put it in my mouth. Whatever. <laughs> put it in. Let's do okay. it. So, so that, do you, in the same way as you might on stage go, I'm having a good gig or a bad gig, mm. or I'm having a, I'm flowing or I'm not flowing. This is working or there's been a problem here and I need to address it. Do could you, would you kind of apply the same feeling to a show where the game is to enjoy yourself. Are there moments when you go, oh, it's, I, I offered a thing, it didn't get a laugh, I've en- I'm enjoying myself slightly less. Oh, I've got to enjoy myself again. You know, is, is there that kind of internal journey? Definitely, but more for the shows that you prep for than the ones you don't. So for okay. QI, it was just, I don't know what's coming, just go with it. And in that regard, you're relaxed, you're ready to have fun. Um, you know, you record longer than the episode is. I, I'm sure everybody knows that anyway. But if you go and see, that's why it's so fun to go see a recording because you get to see all the bits that don't make it. Yeah. Um, and so we record long. So you just know, you know, go to the next bit, go to the next bit. But everybody on, when you do QI, everybody's contributing to everybody having fun. Mm. That's the whole point. Like, like it's not in Jimmy's interest to, for me not to be. Yeah. Um, contributing and for me not to in the same. And Alan, bless him. He's a, he's a wonderful man. And Alan said to me, he said, look, my job is to facilitate the show. And so sometimes I need to say more and sometimes I can afford to say less because everybody's having fun. And it's, and I thought, what a, what a wonderful uh, mindset to work with yeah. is the fact that he's sitting there going, welcome to the show and, and yeah. let's make it a good it's show just, and I'll pick things up if you need me to help, you know? And so he will literally help you with a pickup. If you, if you say something and it didn't quite land, then he can, he can help lift that up instead of leaving you to just fall flat on your face. Yeah. So with something like, uh, uh, mock the week or have I got news for you? What are the other, what are the kind of, what are the preparations involved? So for both of those, because they're topical shows, there is discussion with production about what stories we're going to discuss. And I think that's, I don't think that's a secret. You, you can't, just, you know, they're not going to just show up and go, hey, what about this? If you haven't seen it, the whole recording falls over. Although with Have I Got News For You, they do like a little bit of an element of, look, we, oh, they expect you to be up to date with the news. That is first and foremost. So for both of those shows, it's just days of, what's going on how far back do you go and if you get a story that you like you read a story about wind farms and they go oh this is in its 20th week of a discussion you're like oh christ i've got to go back and follow the entire wind farm thing possibly but if they covered but that's the other thing that if they covered the wind farms the week before they're not going to put it in that week so that's handy is that the the nice thing about those shows is that they record it and they put them out straight away so first thing you can do is watch last week and go okay they've covered those shows they probably won't cover those again but you just want to keep up to if you, you know what's coming like they're not going to book you last minute you know you're doing the day so you keep up to date with it but the weekend definitely the weekend before because we record on a on a tuesday i think okay. for mock and then it goes out on a thursday um so just that whole weekend before like block it out no gigs mm-hmm. although i bet i bet a lot of those that do it regularly i'm sure that they're popping out for a gig on a saturday but not for me i'm yeah. just like no work the whole time and you just work and also obviously you are writing jokes because you want to the you're not going to show up and wing the entire show yeah, it's just not going to work especially when you know it. it's that kind of um arms race Every, you know, hey, should we all agree to show up with just no jokes and just ask? <laughs> hey, should we all? 
all of us agreed, right? Everybody yeah, yeah, in on yeah. three. No, stags it's and not antlers. Gonna happen. Is yeah. it stags and antlers? Like it would benefit all stags if none of them had antlers. But as soon as one of them's got antlers, they've all got to have antlers. Precisely. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone's bringing antlers. Everyone's bringing antlers. And, and the interesting thing about these shows as well is that because it's topical, it's not... And this is where it differs again from stand-up comedy. In stand-up, when you're doing a Friday or Saturday night gig, you're bringing your gold. You're bringing the stuff that you've been working on. You've been honing it. You know it inside out. If you if you twist a bit here, you do a bit out of order there, you know how to recover from that. Whereas with the topical show, these are jokes that you've maybe never said on stage unless, you know, actually, I have organized Monday gigs in order to run through material. Yeah, to just okay. be able to say it out loud mm-hmm. uh, once. But... Before, before bringing it, because you also don't know necessarily what will come up. You might. There have been times where I've come up with an idea or written a joke, and then someone else has said it, and then everyone else goes, "Oh, I had that too." Yeah, <laughs> you just see people cross your stuff out. You got yeah. it in first. Well done. Um, and and so you know, you don't know what you're going to say. You don't know where the conversation's going to go uh, with it all. And and so it's, it, but you've never said it before. And I, the biggest thing for me is keeping that amount of information in my head. I would really struggle with that. I can imagine that is a really difficult to, element to of To just it. go, okay, I'm going to keep this in my head. And, oh, yes, of course, when you say that, I have something on this. Because I've also had to learn how to... Because we spend time... When you write jokes, there's a science to it. And which word should come last? And what's the reveal? And, and how should we word this? How can we keep this pithy? And then you write it. And if you don't memorize it precisely, and the number of times where I've had it, I've, I've messed up in a recording, a great joke, and it becomes an okay joke because I've said it wrong or I've fluffed this, you know, or my, you know, I'm trying to link from what they've just said, link into my setup yeah. in order to get to the punchline. And then I've gone, Oh, I didn't do that. Right. But you can't with a live, you know, you can't redo it. Yeah. So it's already, it's out there. The concept is out there. The conversation is flowing. So in your, in your preparation, you presumably need to look at how you apply your personality to a subject. Like the people who do these shows routinely, the people, the regular guests on the shows, presumably mm. are people with a coherent enough persona that they can go uh this thing has happened in the news and they can go well i know how i feel i know how comedy me feels about that i think i think honestly i feel that that's more important for have i got news to you than okay mock the week mock the week is is gag heavy yes and it's so like a huge tombola and i think the there's ideas, a lot yeah. of gags that could have been said by anybody you know, if you look at the yeah, pictures, if you yeah. look at um, this is the answer, what is the question, what does this number mean? All of those, you know, a lot of them. Yeah. Kept, there are some, that, and in fact, my brain tends to write generically, and then every so often someone like a friend of mine might go, how about this? And they've written something for me, and uh-huh. I go, I didn't even didn't even think of that you know if five million how many how many kids do i have as an asian that how much do my children earn because i'm asian and my kids work you know or whatever sure. it, it, you know something i go oh, oh yeah you know five how many phds do i have you know that, that kind of yeah. thing that's specific to me and they go really well but it doesn't but for me it didn't you. occur to me yes that's really to interesting bring myself into because it, people just, can kind of caricature you more easily than you can yourself in a lot, yeah, they see, yeah. well, they see me. That's the thing. We don't see ourselves. Imagine where the beauty industry would be if we lived in a world without mirrors. Yeah, it, right. it, it just wouldn't exist because I'd be like, you look fine. I don't understand. But it's, we only judge ourselves. Uh, and so it's the same thing. I don't, I don't see myself and I watch, you know, and I've spent years, we've all spent years watching Mock the Week. And when you watch it, you come up, you go, okay, well, this joke will work on there and this joke will work on there, but they're, they're just jokes. Yeah. They're jokes about, 
you know, about whatever you're talking about. And then there's also, again, at the end, scenes. There's room for personality there. And that's yeah. definitely where I have a lot of fun. Is I like writing for scenes. There's a lot of um, opportunities to say things as a woman that lines that, that I feel mean more coming from me than they do. For example. For example. Uh, for example, things... Um, like some of the lines you can write as a woman for it. There was one that I did with unlikely things said by a sports commentator was, oh, and England have done it. They've actually won the Euro World Cup just by remembering they have a woman's team. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Because I think the women, my sister gives me the football facts. I don't know anything about football and I go to her sports and she goes, well, the women won the team. Ah, yes. Okay. Okay. Great, so they, whatever, great, great. whatever sports fixture, the women's team won. Yay. Okay. Um, but that, that sort of commentary. And you were saying that the that on Have I Got News for You, it's different again because it's it can be more kind of rooted in persona. Well, there are fewer people on Have I Got News for You. So even though it's, you know, and even though it's a, dare I say, more intellectual show, I mean, there's more discussion and it's more discursive. And there's only five of you and only four of you were talking because the host is very much hosting, even, you know, although both hosts, Dara and whomever's hosting have, will join in. It just gives you more space. And so I found that that writing, when I'm writing for Have I Got News For You, I, my brain naturally goes towards bigger concepts or, or bigger ideas, as opposed to looking for the gag or the punchline. Because in Mock, there's seven of you, and you want to get in, and and a lot of it is is bullet point, look at this picture, give me a punchline, look at, you know, look at this number. Give me a, whereas on, on, have I got news for you? It is, it's discussing. And you're also, it's, you're informing of the news as much as you were joking about the news. So it's a, it's a different, it's a different tone. It's a different flavor. And I enjoy it very much because, because also it's, it's not wrong to not know everything when you mm. get on the show. And then the journalist will say, well, this happened. And then there's something that comes off the back of that. Or, or the production will say, Hey, we're going to talk about these stories. And then in the record, they'll go, Hey, who saw this? And, yeah. and you go, oh, that wasn't in the brief. But yeah. then sometimes you go, oh, I know this one. Yeah. And that's quite exciting. And another, other times you just go, no, I'm totally out. I have no idea. So this is Ria. Tremendous fun talking to Ria. And I tell you what else I love. I have just discovered in an attempt to uh, bring to you her socials and all of the other bits and bobs that I would normally uh, reference and encourage you to, to go towards. If you go to Rialina.com, she's basically taken, and I love stuff like this, she's taken the sort of link tree idea of it's just like eight buttons. Uh, and if you hit the buttons marked socials, uh, it's another link tree with Ed, uh, Joel Domit did this recently and I've copied it I absolutely love it it's another link tree with six different buttons so if you'd like to follow Rialina on Instagram Twitter Facebook TikTok or even LinkedIn go to Rialina.com and just press the button with socials on it there's also uh, a button which has things to watch uh, which has got loads and loads of clips and loads of her appearances on other podcasts as if other podcasts exist so I can do nothing apart from ask you please um, to implore you to go to Rialina.com and enjoy just just how I really appreciate how stripped down that um, uh, that system is. So <laughs> that's me being pretty boring about the internet. But uh, catch up with uh, Ria through all of those things and 25 minutes of extra content with her. Some great advice for new comics. Shall I just remind myself of it on my little... Um uh, my little spreadsheet here, done for me by Moz, the new uh, ConCom logger. Thank you, Moz. Excellent work as ever. Um, we're going to talk about watching live comedy, watching the evolution in open mic comics through the circuit, um, 
and uh, utilising, embracing, I should say, embracing your your peers and your friend group. There's some brilliant, brilliant um, stuff there. So if you are a new comic, if you're in the Insiders Club, don't miss out on that one. We'll also talk about the, the implied consent of audience interaction in videos because Rhea is one of those people who is whacking out loads of online content and bringing a very lightweight tripod and camera to every gig she does. And you've got to respect that hustle. Uh, more from Rhea coming up soon. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com, which doesn't have the brevity, I'm going to admit to you, of rialina.com. It's still a bit old school by Rhea standards, um, but there is an exciting, uh, not even a pop-up menu, a sort of zoom from your eyes and then bouncing on the page. I like it. It's all from wix.com. Not Sponcon this, but I, I really enjoy having a Wix. This isn't, look, this is not sponsored, but I love having a Wix website because all it took me was two days to work out. This one thing took half of that time, so let's say a day to work it out. Um, and now when I think to myself, oh yeah, that should probably be a page on my website, I can knock it up in an hour. It's unreal. I've seized the means of production. The point is, please, if you haven't already, check out stuartgoldsmith.com and follow the link there um, to find my Edinburgh Fringe dates and all of the stuff that I've got coming up uh, in in future um, on the 7th to the 10th of July, which should be just as you're recording this. I won't be doing any gigs because my wife's going away and I'm taking the kids the entire time. We're going to go and see Minions 2, The Rise of Gru, which we've been waiting for for two and a half years. Um, I'm going to do some stuff. Uh, go to stuartgoldsmith.com slash comedy if you'd like to know more details on um, the warm-ups I'm doing for Edinburgh. Uh, I'm also going to be uh, at the Litchfield Comedy Club on the 21st of July and in Tringe, doing a work in progress at Tringe, Tringe Festival in Tring. Uh, on the 22nd of July and then from the 4th to the 11th I'm going to be in Edinburgh and I absolutely cannot wait I'm so excited about that the room is far too big for a work in progress week which has uh, a, a sort of suitably small budget f attached to it for promo um, so please come because if it were a 40 seater and I was smashing it out for a week I would be absolutely thrilled and excited as it is oh it's several times bigger than that so it would really be good to not just feel like I'm dying on my ass for a week even though this isn't, you know, the finished show you can look forward to, I assume, next year. So, stuartgoldsmith.com for all of that. All of the podcast stuff goes via comedianscomedian.com. But, listen, I've had some high-level meetings with some high-level, uh, sort of not quite SEO people even, but just sort of understanding the incredible traffic that comedianscomedian.com gets from pages like Wikipedia, where it's back-reft on the page about hecklers. Um all of that I'm going to risk breaking because comedianscomedian.com should basically just direct you to stuartgoldsmith.com slash comedy. No, it should redirect you to stuartgoldsmith.com slash podcast. And I think I've been in stasis about it for a year. So I think I'm just going to do that and break it and then maybe disappear into obscurity and you'll never hear of the podcast again. So if you understood any of that and you've got two weeks from now to stop me before I bloody pull the plug and do it. So if you're listening going, no, don't do that, um, then uh, please get in touch and tell me why not. But briefly, right, just a quick paragraph in an email uh, with the expectation of not a huge amount of correspondence. <laughs> How's that? But just warn me. Just, just shout, don't do it. Send me an email with the subject line, don't do it. And then a brief paragraph explaining why not. Thank you. Right. Oh, another fun August thing. If you're going to be at Camp Bestival in Shropshire, which isn't like Bestival, it's like it's Camp Bestival is um, only for kids. 
um, or it's all aimed at kids. I'm going to be doing comedy for kids there, and I have promised the Boutros a tenor if he gets on stage during my set and does five of his original jokes. It will be his first paid gig. What a lovely thing that is. Um, August, I think, is going to be a bit up and down in terms of the release schedule. What with Edinburgh, I'm going to record loads of episodes when I'm up there, or rather at least see loads of shows when I'm up there such that I can record them remotely and at my convenience after. Um, and then I've got an actual holiday plan. So it might be that in sort of September, mid-September, we'll do July... And then we'll go, we'll have a break in August and then we'll go for it in September. Um, so just to let you know that, that Sean McLaughlin is in the can and uh, he's screaming to be let out. And that will happen a week after this one. Right. Let's get back. God, that was unusually waffly, wasn't it? Let's get back to Rialina. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Has your view of yourself or the way in which you work as a stand-up changed or been informed by the fact that now you've got these big kind of keynote TV shows under your belt? Do you feel like a different comic? I I feel like there's different, I feel that there's different voices. I think that who, you know, I don't, I don't do Friday night, Saturday night comedy on TV. I mean, you know, aside from the stand-up section and mock, but even then, you know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to do your jongler set on mock the week. I'm sure that's been established. The jongler set, we've established that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, everyone knows. Um, but I think it's 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 almost like an ex- it's a it's an extension of the brand. To you know, if we think of Realina as a brand, and then there's Realina that you would see on Friday night at the comedy store then this is another extension of that. And you want to keep that voice. So it's more, you want the stand-up voice to inform the TV voice because you don't want people to go, oh, I saw her on that, but then I saw her in real life and they're totally different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know that TV is, is, I don't think that TV is informing my club comedy, but it would definitely play a role in my tour comedy. Okay. Which, okay. again, I think different people would argue, should they be the same or different? But again, if you're doing an hour, hour and 20 minute long show... You're not doing short, we don't have time to get to know each other jokes yep. like you would in a club. Then you're going to go, okay, let me, here I get to give you more of myself. I get to talk more about myself, give you more opinion stuff. And then that's where some of those themes and topics could come in mm-hmm. and inform it. I hope I don't become someone who ends up doing an entire tour show where I talk about my successful career on TV. That would be slap we can, me. We can slap but hope me. to have that problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The, the difficult second album where it's all about the trials and tribulations of being rich and famous. <laughs> well, the, well, this is because you've seen, I've seen it. I've seen comics yeah. where, and it's very fun. Don't get me wrong. I've seen very successful, very skilled comics working on their tour shows and I'm watching them. And because of the life they lead, all they have to talk about is, so I got recognized when I was taking my kids to Pizza Express or, uh, you know, I was doing this TV show and you go, it's the stories are funny. But at the same time, you go, oh, you've evolved away from us 
common people. So I'm hoping not to evolve too far away. <laughs> you mentioned, uh, as a figure of speech, you mentioned the brand of Realina. Yes. Do you ever think of yours? Because it's kind of a dirty word in comedy. I don't know if that's necessarily... Realina is well... a dirty word? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, the idea, of, the idea of branding or referring to oneself as a brand suggests... I think to the kind of grassroots comic that, oh yeah, well you should spend more time writing jokes and less time thinking about your brand or, you know what I mean? That, that kind of vibe. Do you? I get, I get that. Do you remember? I mean, you'll remember this because we, we, we both, we both, I mean, it was only a couple of years ago that it became okay to say at the end of your set, thank you so much. Follow me online. Find me on Instagram. I'm this, I'm that. And we used to hate that, especially British comedy. Just go, Oh, who do they think they are? Like do the gig and get off. Um, and, and there was a period of time where I was hosting where I, you know, where there was that in between where you go, I recognize it's important, but it's douchey if you do it yourself. So as the host, I would come on and go, Hey folks, can you give everyone a follow? It would really help everyone out. You saw this person, that person, and it already, already, I'm like, that is classier. So I clearly it, yeah, still have that is, vestigial kind of doubt you know, about people repping their socials. We have these unspoken rules in comedy. You know, if anyone other than the headliner says, give it up for your MC, you go, who do you, you're the middle <laughs> act. What are you doing? You don't think the MC, oh, isn't the MC great? The MC is way more experienced than you. You need to get on with the show. Um, so... Uh, but now we're at a point where saying all that after that is branding. So any and and the people doing it are the newer comics coming up because mm-hmm. they've never done comedy without social media. So it's it's a no brainer to them. And that's part of branding is to, you know, it, we've always said it. You I mean, who is it? Al Lubell, who wrote a routine where he says his name a million times mm-hmm. because that's how you get people to remember who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody goes, oh, I love the comic that said his name a million times. They go, oh, I loved Al LaBelle. Sure. Yeah, and yeah. It's, you know, and how many times do we... So our name gets said when we're brought on stage, and then there's some comics that know this and will put their name into their set. Yeah. And, you know, and, and you say it multiple times. I always say my name at the end of my set. It's never enough, though. I tell you that. It's not enough. I'll go, thank you so much. I'm really in a good night. Uh, As they're people, clapping over it, and they well, can't that's hear it. Can't, I know, but you can't hear it. But uh, or, or right before they clap, you know, if they don't know you're finishing, you do that final joke, and then they'll go, yeah, and you go, you know what? That's my time. Thank you so much. I'm Rialina, and you'll go. So it's right before, but they'll still come and up. They'll and go, still. What was that? What name? was your name? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. What was your name? It, it, it's never enough, and, and so it. But it is. I, I suppose. I. I mean, I'll full disclosure. I gig under Rialina, which is my name. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is my name now, but I wasn't always Rialina. It's you know, it is a it is a stage name, and it is it is an entity that's been created over time and developed, and it is me, but it isn't me, but it is me. Okay. And I think that's true for all comics. I'm I am very much in awe of everybody who gigs up in their own name. Yeah, uh, because I can't fathom gigging in my own name why i think partly because i have a history uh, you know i was i was a scientist and i was published before i became a comedian or while i was becoming a comedian not and so an issue that troubles a lot of people that gig in their own name <laughs> right yeah well ex- exactly so i had you know so i already knew when i first started and, and i think a lot of people do this I, i'm not the only person that has a professional life and gigs under another name because they might professionally be you know in hr or you know a, a contractor or a doctor or something and so they they have that persona mm-hmm. on linkedin and therefore they need to have another persona that they gig with because it wouldn't help their day job if something happened in their night job. Yeah. So it's not a foreign concept. And I had the same thing. I was working as a scientist. So I have 
really another stage name. Um, and so it is, and it is a brand. And I think that anyone, even if you gig in your own name, you, you can't tell me that you're going around your entire life being that person, mm-hmm. you know, walking into the living room and not speaking or asking anyone if they want a cup of tea before they've given you a round of applause. Like it, it, we don't do that in real life. Uh, so it is, it is, it is important to, to think about all of those things. And especially as a woman, as we've already discussed, knowing that people are going to judge you for how you look and how you dress and all of those things. Is it right? Maybe not, but is it, is it something that, is that the battle I'm going to fight when I'm new to this? I'm going to come on and go, you know what? I'm going to be the first comic to never wash her hair on television. No, it's just it's that I would rather be, I'd rather be good at other things. I'd rather be like, Oh, she was good or she was funny or she was well prepared for that. Or she's professional. We like working with her. All of those things are going to be more important to me than some of the other stuff. What are the differences between what what are the most apparent differences to you? Or maybe, maybe some of the most unexpected differences between Rhea Lena, the comedian and you actual Rhea. Um, like there's, there's the material things about like, I come on stage and I do jokes, yes. but like, what are the, what are the, the, what are the kind of the, the minutiae of the, um, the differences between that, your relationship to people, the yeah. things that Rhea, that on stage Rhea would do or say or think, you know, what, what are the differences? So, so Rhea as the whole. Yes, talk about yourself in the third yeah. person in a way that <laughs> makes you feel deeply creepy. <laughs> so sorry. Uh, Rhea's very uncomfortable right now. Rhea, Rhea, the whole, is autistic. So I was diagnosed about 10 years ago as, you know, as Aspergic, which doesn't exist anymore, but Rhea's autistic. But Rhea Lena's less autistic. I think Rhea Lena doesn't, I don't talk about it that much on stage. It do, I do have material about it. I'm not, I will mention it if it feels appropriate. There are times where Rhea Lena will suddenly do something really autistic on stage. Like I'll be in the middle of a joke and then snap out of it and go, Oh my gosh, your, your, your leg is purple. You know, just something, you know, just something almost inappropriate where if we were in a social setting in a party, people would go, what just happened? And then I might bring it up. But overall, Rialina is less autistic than Ria. But Ria is the puppet master of Rialina. So you can't ignore the fact that I'm autistic, which comes into the working life behind things. And how do I need to prepare for things? And I'm still learning even little things like, um, I'm generally caffeine free. I don't drink alcohol, but I, my drink of choice before I gave up caffeine was Coca-Cola. That's my, that's my one, that's my favorite drink. That's my treat to self. That's everyone else's red wine. And so I'll use that during a show to kind of give me that extra boost because I'm caffeine free, the sugar and the caffeine together. And I, woohoo, we are on. Um, but I'm still learning when do I drink that to not actually crash. I crashed in the middle of one recording. I think I was doing guessable and we did a round where you had to, essentially lie. You had boxes and you had to say what was in the box and pretend it was or it wasn't what was in the box. And, and that's quite, that's quite hard for an autistic is to maintain that. It's different to acting and to maintain it. And at the end of that, I, my adrenaline completely crashed and I was just sitting there shaking going, we might need to stop for a second because I hadn't, I haven't figured out the sugar. I haven't figured out how to write okay. that and do all. So I'm still learning all of that. So Rhea behind the scenes also, I dress like a bum. I dress like a bum. I am a mum. And when I am not on, when I am not working, my wardrobe is entirely elasticated and cotton. 
cotton, elasticated cotton. That's it. Just bum. Um, I, if I could go to the shops in my pajamas, I would. I, I am that. That I do. Whereas Rialina will wear more uh, form-fitting clothing that I generally find uncomfortable. Like oh, 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 Rialina okay. wears jeans. I do not. Ria does not wear jeans. Okay. Um, uh, I think that Rialina is more charming. Ria's a little bit more blunt and a little bit rude, probably, or a bit more grumpy. Like the, those, those are things. Like I hope, I hope. I apologize if anyone's met Ria and thought they were meeting Rialina. Can I apologize right now? <laughs> I'm sorry, but she, you know, but it takes a lot of energy. It, I, I liken it to like a ship on Star Wars to be autistic and to put your filters on and your masks and everything. It's like maintaining shields. So it takes a lot of energy to maintain those. And when I'm tired, then the whole thing slips and Rialina starts becoming a little bit Rhea. Is there, is there an argument for allowing some of that maybe rudeness or abruptness into Rialina? Like, is oh, there, would you yeah. be interested in doing that? Is I, that think like it a- do- I think it does inform the comedy. You can't separate the two. You can't go, oh, it's not acting and it's not playing a character. And, and this is why I was saying earlier, even some people who gig in their own name, there are still two people. There are still two personas. And, and, and Rialina is real. She is me. I am me. But it is something that you can kind of, it's like makeup. Okay. It's putting on makeup. When a woman puts makeup on, she is still herself, but she is a different presentation of herself. And so you can think of Rialina as Ria's makeup. Mm. I'm still Rhea behind it. I'm still, it's still my brain thinking of things. It's still this autistic brain that informs the comedy that I do. And yeah. that's why that is that flavor. And that's, you know, and when I'm interacting on stage with the audience, um, when I'm doing my front row interactions, you can't go, oh, well, that's totally Rhea Lena. Rhea's in there going, talk to that guy. He's it, young. He looks like a target. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned that the analogy of makeup because I think something I'm really fascinated in, and I think comics can learn a lot from drag performers, whereby people are very specific about this is me, and it's like separation of church and state. This is me, and yes. this is my drag persona. But, yes, and and so that kind of that kind of feeds into somehow that idea about makeup, a different presentation of yourself. And I think I mean I haven't said this on the show for a long time, but I've certainly said it before watching RuPaul's Drag Race Mm. and seeing when the queens on it manage to accurately find something real in themselves which they then translate into their drag cells Mm -hmm. and also seeing when they're attempting to do that or contriving something and it fails and it doesn't shine and there's one in particular who I won't rename but someone who kind of was like but this is my persona and everyone's like but it isn't really I mean, this is a decision you've made and it isn't speaking to you actually what you're like. Yes. This is a contrived persona. This is like someone very new to stand up going, well, I'm going to be the angry person. And you go, but that's not you in your heart, you know? No, it has to be authentic. I think that's, you know, it's, it's not, there has to have an authenticity to it. And, and, and so really, it's not, it's not as, it's not my drag persona, although although you've just discussed how that has to still be real, but it isn't something different. I haven't decided that Rialina can speak Spanish, but Ria doesn't, or, or vice versa, or I speak Spanish, but Rialina very much doesn't. We are the same person, but it is it is about, you know, I think we all were taught that, you know, it's your uh, dinner party, it's your phone voice. We, You know, it's that kind of thing where you go, you're not going to go on, I'm not going to go on stage in my warm-up pants. Yeah you know, and not put the effort in. But that's also to do with the fact that we're on stage and it's a performance and people have paid to see you. So if you're going to put effort in, you're going to come out, you're going to pay to see me, you're going to pay my wage 
and feed my kids, I'm going to put effort on, on you know, yeah. I'm going to put on, put on in the effort. Yeah, oh, totally. Came I, I'm going to put the effort <laughs> in to giving you a, a, an enjoyable performance. And if I meet you before or after, I'm not going to be like, I'm done. I'm not on stage anymore. Leave me alone. It's going, hi, thank you so much for coming because that's all part of the job. And that's all part of the branding is that they come, they become your audience. You want to keep them as your audience or you want them to, to want to be your audience. Then don't be a dick. Go, you know, maintain that. But I'm saying that because behind the scenes I am autistic, that can take a lot of energy and that can mm. be difficult and that mm. can slip. And it does for all of us. We're all, it's not, you know, I'm not saying that I, as an autistic, I have that and nobody else has that. Everybody is human. And you, you know, if you had a late night with the children or they were ill, then you're going to, it's going to affect your performance on stage because you're tired. So what's the what is the overarching uh, mission? <laughs> we can continue in Star Trek terminology. Mission, but, yes. uh, but what is to the boldly go? Well, what like what is it that you? Uh, what is it? Oh, sorry, I this is such a big question. It's difficult to ask. Like, what is it that you it want from music. comedy? Dun, is it just dun, that you dun, want? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that's diff- it, that's Star. I was about. Oh my to, gosh! I, no, I, I know. I know. No, I think it was Star. Oh, it, was, it wasn't quite. Dun, dun. I believe we can't use that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but we're using it for comic effect. Yeah. Um, so the the big question is, like, why comedy, and what is it that you're looking for? What is it that you're boldly going in order to to kind of seek out? Is it the adulation of crowds? Is it self expression? Is it a more interesting job than your last one, which sounds like it was quite an interesting job? Do you know what? That's a very interesting question. It's a very interesting question because what you're asking me to do is name an endpoint or name a direction. And I think, and this is so wanky, but I think it's not about the destination. It's the journey. It's the journey. I, I, I think that I, so first of all, comedy, I was, I gravitated towards comedy because I found it the way I think a lot of comics found it before the internet in the way that you, you landed, you know, I, I, I came, I came to London to do my PhD and you go to a club and you see that and you get, you enter into this new world, uh, uh, you know, of comedy and you go, wow, what is this? And you find out that it's actually all the misfits and the didn't slight, didn't quite work at life. People have gathered together and created their own community. And that's always what I felt, you know, I was always slightly on the outside of, of, of life, of the class, of my, of my, you know, grade or whatever. I was always slightly on the outside and, and people would be like, well, that's Rhea. But I didn't have, no one was going, well, that's Rhea. She's at the party, but no one's going, Hey, where's Rhea? She's not at the party. You know, that kind of thing. And so I gravitated towards it because I went, this is where I belong. I felt that I belong there. So rather than be the slightly weird one in the office, I could be the next one on stage and everyone goes, yeah, but you have to be different. You're supposed to be different. You are you and who you are in comedy as a unique individual is valued because the, the more different or the more unique you are, the more interesting, the more memorable you are. And, and I'm saying this to someone, I mean, hats off to you as a straight white male making it through when there's so many other straight white males. I remember when they started putting more than one woman on the bill and, and going, oh my gosh, but what if we do each other's material? And, going, and I am not like any other woman in the comedy circuit. And it, so that made me realize, oh my gosh, how have white men been doing it all this time? I never stopped. You can put Alistair Berry and Paul Thorne and Steve Gribben on the same bill and no one's going to go, well, I couldn't tell the white bald men apart uh, you know, because they're distinct. 
And I and and so I'm very impressed with how you've had to maybe even work harder than we've had to in order to distinguish yourself. But having found it, having found this community uh, of of outcasts and, and people that just think a little bit differently or say the wrong thing that gets them called into HR but is incredibly funny on stage, having found that, I also found that it is a never it never ends. There is no end. There's no end point to comedy. There's no end point to where your career can go. There's no end point to how good you can get at it. And I think that also is what I needed. I needed there not to be, you know, I was, I worked in, I worked for the serious fraud office for a while. That's civil service. And that's very clear. This is your grade. Then there's the next grade, next grade, you know, going up. And it's very clear echelons. And there is a stopping point. And there's no way that you're going to start at the bottom of the serious fraud office and end up as the prime minister. That's not a path. Uh, and, and you also, also it's in civil service at the time that I was there was pretty much dead man's shoes. So if you come in it as an EO, you're not necessarily moving up to an HEO unless an HEO leaves. But this is, this was at the time, you know, jobs for life and jobs in civil service jobs, which we all thought were secure until a couple of weeks ago when they decided to ax 90,000 of them. Um, that'll help the economy. <laughs> so you know, that was, it was rigid and it was structured. Whereas with comedy, there is no end. There is no end to self-improvement. There's no end to, to the, the competition of it. And I don't mean with each other, but to just the competition with yourself. How can I be better? Where can I go? And that, and every comic feels that way. And I can prove it because every comic who books that, who books that, how can I get that? No one goes, Oh, well done. That sounds great for you. No one, no comic has ever heard another comic work and go. Yes, although, although I, I mean, there's, I got, I've got to like put the brakes on. You said so many fascinating things there, okay, and I think, so. and I think, really, really, precisely and very deftly articulated a hugely central bit of it for me: the race against yourself. Mm. That thing, I love that, and it feels so like you can you can be involved in the race against yourself and not be competitive and not be a dickhead and not be do you know I mean there are so yeah. many jobs in this world that you can do which at their core are kind of uh, aggressive or you know based on being better than other people or what have you and one of the things i love about comedy is that it is it is about the journey it is a race against yourself there is no end point comedians die the people close to them go oh no they mourn them and lament them and then the circuit kind of goes oh are they not around anymore oh that's a shame i like them you know and it, yeah. it's a very small ripple no matter how big you are it's a very, the ripples are very small and you go no no because there is no end point all you do is you do your stuff and you live the life and you jump out of that plane metaphorically every mm, night mm. and you have that wonderful sensory experience and then eventually you die. And, and if you, just before you die, you can think, fuck yeah, that was great. Then you've done it. You do know I mean like, well done. You did it. Yeah. So with, so with that in mind, great. I, I'm really into that point. You said about, oh, your point about the, um, uh, the civil service and we'll get more into your background and you reminded me about trying to find a bloater in a gig of the Isle of Wight which we'll talk about as well oh, yes. <laughs> um, we'll get to that but also your point about who books that when comics are saying oh you've done a thing well done but who books that I think that proves that comics always want more I don't know that it proves your point about self-improvement and the race being no, against themselves I'm talking about competition generally all comics are competitive with themselves but with each other because that that's that's how we know there is it, there's rare it i mean and this is this is i mean i love i love comedy i used to be in acting a bit i did a bit of acting and i found that 
comedy I felt people were real and the love and the camaraderie was real compared to acting which is strange because if you're cast in a play you're a cast together and you're yeah. all working on that together in comedy you each have you're you, forever alone you're alone <laughs> yeah. but I find there's more camaraderie in understanding well I'm the opener there I have a job to play you are the middle they're the MC we all have our roles to play to together create a show yeah you know and and very few comics are going to go I'm going to ruin this audience so no one else can have a good gig I don't sure. It happens, but it's are. yes, but it's rare. <laughs> but generally, we're all going to get together and go because we get to feed our egos by being the only one on stage. But it's still within the understanding of my job is to open the show. My job is to maintain the middle. My job, you know, and and that's really nice. Whereas in acting, weirdly, I find that when you're in a cast, the camaraderie is wonderful, and I always wanted that because I didn't because I didn't have a natural uh, friend group being in plays and acting kind of forced them to include me i was like well i'm in the cast you gotta invite me to the rap party uh and and so i i loved comedy for that but we are insanely we are never satisfied with standing still and that is why we compete with ourselves but we compete with each other yeah yeah, yeah. as well and that is is it's everyone's competitive and who books that and and for every show, every time, and we all do it. I do it myself. I still do it. I will still look at a, a TV show and see who's booked on it and then call my agent and go, what, when did they book that? Why, why am I, can I, how do, can I, can I get on that? Was I put forward for that? What did, you know, we all, we all, we all do it all of the time. Who books that? Do I, do you want me to call? Shall I email? You're busy. I'll, I'll call. Let me call. I'll call. No, I won't call. You're right. I shouldn't call. It's <laughs> not the right impression to give that executive producer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So just to, just to pause for a second before we get onto science, which we will get onto, but, Ooh. um, I wasn't sure when you talked about white men standing out from each other, whether you were making fun of me or not. Like, because I couldn't tell whether you were being dry about the idea that, oh, white men have got it tough, because that isn't a sentiment frequently expressed. Do, do you know what? Genuinely, I, I st- I've stood out my entire career. I'm the tiny little Asian girl. I used to play the ukulele. I'd come you on. You did used to play the ukulele. Do you see? Yes. Everyone forgot. So I would come out. I'd play the ukulele. And no matter what, people would remember me. I'd be the girl with the ukulele on a bill of, of men. Yeah. And so I never, as I said, I never had to compete with other people. I never, in fact, it was when Evelyn Mock first came on the scene. <laughs> Evelyn Mock, who is Chinese and <laughs> Swedish, <laughs> Swedish, Chinese and Swedish, and, and I'm Filipino German, but born in the UK, raised in Holland. You know, we're completely different people. But she would come on and she, you know, but she had a vagina. She had a vagina. And I was like, but I have a vagina. And what happens when you, you know, how are we going to, even I was stuck in that mind frame that we'd been trained in, in the circuit to go, yeah. we well, can't have both What if she on. does all the vagina jokes before I Asian, go on? Asian <laughs> vagina jokes. What am I going to do? And, and even I gigged with Sindhu V the other day, whom I love. And Sindhu V is married with three kids. And I'm married with three kids. And we're both Asian moms. And she does a bit about her son doing GCSE art. And going, what is that? That is a, ho- you can't do a degree in a hobby. Uh, you know, and I'm just there going, yes, speaking, she speaks my truth. And then I have to yes. go on after her and go, all right, more truth, more Asian mom truth. That doesn't sound yeah, like we're the same person because we're very similar, but we're very different. So I genuinely, that's when I realized I, when I started looking at white, there's so many white straight males on the circuit, as you know, and looking around going, huh, how have you all done it all these years? Because yeah, of the panic okay. I felt from one other woman coming, you know, just coming into my world. Yeah, I was surrounded really by men going, oh, you've had to do it all this time. 
talk and you oh you are quite different look you you know it never sure. occurred to me for sure to even look at it but to, it, it, but you've had to people have to get distinguish yourself they have another to distinguish way. yourself they have to be textured you look at kind of Paul Thorne, Marcus Bergman, Alan Cochran, you know, Jeff Innocent. There's a bunch of white guys. And on a bill that would, you go, oh, there's just a bunch of white guys on that bill. They're all very distinct. But they're all very different. Which is is not to say that we should be booking entirely white guy lineups. And that's an ongoing issue, which I hope people are, you know, mentioning when it comes up. But they are different. But they are different. They are different. And also none of them. So the way that I will go, I'm Asian. And I'll talk about Asian jokes and talk about my Asian identity. Rarely, if ever... Maybe now, now that there's more diversity, but I can't think of white guys going, yeah, so as a white man, I do this, that, and the other. And some of them are quite angry that they can't say that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now, I think now they can. I think now it's becoming part of the vernacular, but it was never before. So you already had removed from you one of the tools that was right. Finally, thank you. It has been hard. (laughs) (laughs) You know, know, and you're good looking. I don't know how you managed, um, because you can't be good looking in comedy either. It's an eternal trial and a real rod for my back. (laughs) (laughs) I feel you. Yeah. Let's talk about um, science and let's talk about the gig that we did uh, in the Isle of Wight. Oh, yes. Some time ago. And I remember on the, we had a fun ferry trip over there. And yes. uh, I remember you kind of curiously looking out at the kind of, I don't even know, at the shore and going, oh, they've got a, they've got a, I don't even know the words. But I remember you saying like, oh, I should check in and see if they've got, was it a bloater or a, a floater? floater? Bloater, floater. Yeah. yeah. It was like you, you were, as I recall it, and correct me, um, your experience in forensic pathology meant that if whenever, you know, you've got to keep your hours up in the same way as a pilot does. So my memory is such that you were like, I should just call in at the local police station and see if they have any dead bodies that they fished out of the water because it's good for me to keep up my, is that, am I remembering any of that right? Yeah, along those lines. So I, when I worked in forensics, did, um... I did a couple of days. I was doing a, um, what's the word? I, sh- I went to bed at 4am. Hang on. I was doing, I was doing a consult. I was consulting with city of London police about how they were n- recording their, f- when they would go to a crime scene, what were they do? How were they recording uh, all of their evidence? Mm-hmm. And so in order to, and I was assessing therefore as many local constabularies, ways of, of recording and what were they using software and the rest of it. And so as part of that, I went and did, and did a few, spent some time with Hampshire, uh, police. And that includes the Isle of Wight. Uh, and I went down to the Isle of Wight and the guy met me and he said, and it was quite frustrating. He said, uh, because you, I wasn't sure we had two choices of crime scenes to go to. And I wasn't sure cause you're a girl. So I've picked the barn break in. Oh, went, what? What? Yeah. I was like, what? the barn break-in. And I said, what was the other choice? And he said, well, it was a bloater on the beach. And I went, you're kidding me. Because I started in pathology and I was going, how are we doing a barn break-in? You know, and of course it was very, forensically, there was loads of different things. We had a footprint, we had some tool marks, we had some fingerprints. You go, yes, yes, yes. And and really for the consultancy, it was better because, well, there was multiple things that I could look at how they were doing it and, you know, and, and assess multiple processes. Uh, but I'm going, it's a 
blow it on the beach. So what happens is that a lot of people like a sea burial and they'll do them in between sort of Portsmouth, Southampton and the Isle of Wight. Uh, and, and to do it properly, there are ways that you're supposed to, well, obviously you have to record it properly. You need to, you know, they need to be tagged and they need to be weighted down. So oh, that's you know, a thing you can do. You can opt you to can be buried a, at you sea. You can have a sea burial, but okay. there are procedures in order to do it properly. But then there are people that don't do it properly. And what happens is, is that they don't then often weigh them down properly. And if that happens what happens is that body because because as a body decomposes gas the bacteria that that break it down create gas and then that will create so uh, well to start at the beginning so so, (laughs) so when a when a body dies in water um when when you're in water the reason you float is because your lungs are like two airbags yep and so if you drown or you are dead and there's no air in your lungs you will sink to the bottom mm-hmm. but then as you start to decompose gases are formed and as you know and those gases will then form in in the body mm-hmm. and that will then bring it back up to the surface so a few days later so that's why um you know, you say, oh, I saw a body in the water that's usually been there for a little while because it's either, you know, it's floated back up. Gotcha. And so if you don't weigh your burials down correctly, uh, they will then float back up. And the way that the tides work is they most often wash up on the Isle of Wight. Some of them will go out to sea and never be seen again, as as was sort of hoped for. But many of them will wash up on the I beach see. of the Isle of Wight. Now... You go, okay, I understand. So what should happen is the police will go down, collect it, check, you know, check the ID and just go, oh, excuse me, but, um, you need to rebury your loved one. You didn't oh, do it properly or what, okay. or however, or call the funeral, or whatever they'll do. The thing is, is that if someone hasn't done it properly, they often haven't done all of those steps either. Yeah. And so then what you end up with is a situation where you've got a body that's tied up. Yeah. On the beach. Yeah. So you need to then check and make sure that that body was dead before it was tied up and thrown in the water. Because otherwise you've got, you know, the Portsmouth mob, (laughs) the Portsmouth mafia going around going, I know what we'll do. So they always have to investigate every single one that comes up on the beach to just make sure that this isn't a suspicious And if you can combine it with 250 quid for closing a gig, why not? I mean, it's a day day out, isn't it? It's a day out. You're keeping the mind active, keeping the hours up. So this... I discovered throughout the pandemic that you are also a virologist. I so, was a like, vir- yes. How many virologist. how many ologies have you got, mate? Well, um, I did pathology, virology, and forensicology. It's okay. not anology. Forensics. Forensics. <laughs> Forensics. Okay. And um, and all of this was before it had occurred to you to be a comic, or no, at the same time. Same time. Okay. Sort of at the same time. Um, I did pathology first, and that's where I got my taste for stand-up. So while I was at uni, like so many of us, we go and we're like, hey, let's just do stand-up. And I did stand-up a couple of times and went, that went well. And then and then when I came to London to do the PhD, I was like, well, I'll do this. And, it, you know, it starts as a hobby, but then you really – you get sucked into it, and then there's, you know, you get sucked into it. And by the time – so I was a virologist, but I was also – able to make a living as a comic and when someone goes well why are you working eight to ten hours a day when you could work 20 minutes a night i was gonna say what is the attraction of doing obviously the presumably both jobs have a certain amount of satisfaction from doing them you are you are learning to do something very skilled and then exercising that skill 
Yes, but at, well, I, virology, I was a bioinformatician virologist as well, which means that I was working on a computer rather than in a lab. Oh, I, see. I was doing all of my analysis on the computer, okay. which is great because you then set the program running, go off and do a gig, come back the next morning, it's still running, you go away again, you come back, it's still running, <laughs> and then maybe three months to six months down the line, you have some results, and then you have to repeat them, and then you have to talk to somebody else, oh, you're doing the same thing, and then maybe a year later you write a paper, and then you hope it gets accepted, and it might be rejected there, but it gets accepted somewhere else, but with changes. And then two to three years later, woohoo, you've discovered some science. Okay, okay. And the experience of doing uh, nipping out for 20 minutes and working on your gags. And it's a, it, like the experiment's a lot faster, right? You get the data back much quicker. Much quicker. Uh, and, you know, and you can write a joke during the day and try it at night and then write another joke the next day and try it the next night. And do you, does that mean that your comedy career has had this track whereby? At any given time during your non-earning years as a comedian, or the years when it actually costs you money to be an open mic comedian, were you kind of running parallel to, and this is what I would have earned if if I were in my real... Do you know what I mean? Like, it sounds like your position could be, like, quite... Do you, you know, not with my career, with my sister's career. My sister left after her bachelor's and did, you know, did one of those summer internships at a bank and then landed a graduate program at a bank and then worked her way up. And, and... And I've watched, she's younger than me. And so I got, I was watching her and watching her career and her income going, I could have gone into a graduate program at a bank. I could, I just remember, you know, when you're young and you just look at someone who's 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 and go, oh, they're so old. I didn't want to be stuck in, you know, the idea of being in a room for 10 hours a day and being anonymous and being old was just awful. And here we are with yep. chil- married with children going, oh, actually, I still got some <laughs> life in me yet. <laughs> yes, no one, no one said to me when I was 18, uh, and maybe this will be of use, a useful perspective of you yourself, the listener, are young. Um, maybe it won't because uh, you won't listen to this at all and nor should you. But no one ever said to me, oh, yeah, those people who are, you know, executive level at something who are 40, you're still you. But now you've got loads of background behind you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like the idea of you work for a thing. I was like, no, I just, I want to be out there. I want to be wild, you know. And, and like, sure, but at some point you'll, you'll be 40 and you'll still be you. And uh, you won't necessarily have tucked away anything in the bank, either financially speaking or experientially or, you know, kind of like, um, you know, tangible real world things, uh, connections, networks, st- stuff like that. Do you see the point I'm trying to make? That like, no, I think I had a similar sort of, oh my God, I, I'll never be old kind of thing. Yeah. Not only will you be old, if you're lucky enough not to get hit by a bus, not mm. only will you be old, but then when you're old, you will have, you'll have had loads of, you know, you can decide how much of a background you've got when you're old, but you have to make that decision now. You ha- you ha- well, this is it. I think... I like, do you, want to, do you want to go, I'm 40, I'm a comic, I've been schlepping up and down motorways to, to arguably little effect for X number of years. Do you know what I mean? Like the amount of work that goes into being a comic, the amount know, of unnecessary yes. work. I don't think anybody, if you present, would, if you present the truth of being a comedian to an 18 year old, would they choose to be doing that? Great authority? question. That's the thing. Great I think that's what question. You mean. Would you choose to do that? Whereas if you said, look, here, the problem is, is you cannot convey to an 18 year old what it feels like to be 30 or yeah. 35 or 40 or 45. You can't, you can't, because there's just no way to go. Listen, it's not that bad. Uh, you know, or, or you'll be all right. And because, the, but 
that's where those smart teenagers are like my sister realized, hang on. I want it. She wanted a disposable income. She wanted to be able to go on holiday. She wanted to be able to go to work, but leave her work at work and she, mm. you know, and just come home and have an evening. We don't have that. My work lives with me all of the time. And there are times where I look at her life and go, Oh my gosh, you've, you're on a beach holiday. I can't go on a beach holiday without really, really thinking hard about, can I afford to not only not earn that week, but to, spend that week because mm-hmm. a holiday for us is a double whammy whereas a yeah. holiday for her she's still getting paid when she goes on holiday they actually go listen we value that you need time off we're going to pay you x number of days a year to take that time off our job doesn't do that our job is like oh want to be forgotten go on then go on that holiday how long can you afford to go on that holiday how long are you huh you know don't think about work but come back rusty and with no jokes oh something big happened in the news and you're not talking about it but everyone else is that's our life it's just a constant pressure. like, And so, you know, but you can't tell 18 year olds can't encompass. There are very few that can go, oh, yeah, see what you're saying. Yeah, no, no, I think I do want the corporate life because I want to have a nice house. I want a nice house and I could have had a nice house, but I don't have a nice house because I just just jumped out of the plane, like you said. And I keep jumping out of the plane going, hope it's land below. Oh, see. Would you change that? Though? It's tricky. I don't believe in regret. I don't think it, I don't sounds like someone who regrets stuff doesn't want to face it <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no I just don't think it's I don't because you are where you are and I just there's just, I don't think it's a healthy thing to feel um, but it I don't think it's a healthy thing to feel I think it's something that you can think and go okay I made a mistake there how can I either rectify that or redo that or, or not do that in the future um, so I try not to regret things but would I love the Hindus to be right and that we get another shot at this? Yes. And would I possibly pick another adventure? Yes. Oh, I think I would. that's interesting. Yes, that's almost sacrosanct, isn't it? It's almost, as a comic, you're not allowed to go, I don't know who's, who's doing the allowing, but it, it, it's kind of the idea of going, would I do this again? Nah, probably not. Oh, you don't hear do, people say but that. But would I do this career this way again? Possibly not. How you know, would you I do have, it differently? Well, How I would my, you... well, I had my children young. Yeah. Um, and that interrupted my career. You know, I, I had, a, I, you know, I, I had my children and you can't really gig when you have young children. And, and I'm seeing, well, you can't gig at a particular point in your career with yes, children. Yes, because you can, we can all point now to people who are very successful. Having babies and, and, and having continuing babies on. Being successful, but yes. also it's a very different world now in terms of you, even things like um, baby monitors. I think you can do it on your phone. Yeah. Baby monitor on your phone. That that was no. I we had a little leave stupid them in a shoebox. Get down the comedy store. Check in with them on stage. Write a gag where you check your phone. Right, <laughs> or just bring them backstage. You know, just yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. different now. Um, you know, uh, and and so I think that that I I'm really happy now where I am with my children all able to wipe their own bums and you know microwave a meal if they have to. I'm very very happy. Oh, Self bum wiping children is the best. Uh, isn't it, it? I know, I know. And then and then they go, can we get a dog? I'm going to be wiping that bum when you go to college, aren't I? Uh, So I'm very happy with where I am, but that certainly stopped me being able to travel and gig in other places. You know, I can go away for a weekend. I could go, sure, sure, I can go to Europe and, and do, you know, Stockholm and Finland on a Friday, Saturday, but I couldn't go to New York for six weeks or three months and just give it a go. Or, or decide, you know, you know, there were times here, especially in the UK, where it just, where I was looking at the states going, so the states wants people, people of different ethnicity, you know, they were widening up their diversity before we were. Yeah. And so I was looking at people over there getting opportunities that had been 
on the, you know, had been in comedy for less time than I had going, ah, they want, you know, if I went over there, they wouldn't know who I was. They'd go, who is this new person who's so, who's so skilled at it already? Because I still look 12 and, you know, and I couldn't do that. And I still can't do that. I still can't even now go, how about, yeah, let me, just give me three months. I'll try LA. Mm-hmm. Can't do it. I'm interested in your joke writing process. Obviously, we've talked about um, topical writing and what have you. You are someone, you've got that kind of joke machine gun thing where you go, topic, short joke, big topic, bang, short joke. And you can kind of, you know, it's not like they're one-liners, but you are someone clearly, as evidenced by your your, your work on What the Week and what have you, you can be trusted to, there we go, there's there's the subject, write a load of jokes on that. Do you feel uh, empowered as a joke writer now? Do you feel like you can make anything funny? And how did you get to the point you're currently at? Did you ever do courses, training, work your way through a book, technique, stuff like that? Or is it all just circuit in time? It's mainly, mainly circuit in time, if I'm honest. Mainly, I've worked with, you know, I will have sat and written with different people of the years. I will always, I'm huge. I love writer's rooms. I'm huge into the collaborative process. I think that when a bunch of comics are in a room together, working genuinely on one thing, it's better than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. And, and we see that in the States over and over again. We see shows that have longevity beyond ours because we have one guy or two guys write a sitcom for six to 12 episodes yeah. and they have a group of 20 writing yeah. for 10 seasons. I always remember seasons. Hannibal talking about getting the script on the wall on an overhead projector and just every, like, there's a page and we're going to spend today working on that page and everyone just trying to beat every joke on that page. Yeah, it, Madness. Exactly. And I think that, but I think that's wonderful for the brain and that's a wonderful exercise. But I, I, I still today will have days where I go, I don't feel funny. You just, we all have that panic where you go, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to do, I'm supposed to do news quiz tomorrow and I don't feel funny. What am I, what am I going to do? Um, you know, and that, that kind of panic. Um, so I do like to, with stand up, I find there's a zone. There's a certain, there's a zone that you get into. I can't explain it, but it's going to be, it's going to be, a, you know, where adrenaline meets stage meets, lights meets timing, you know, where you come out and a lot of my standup is organically grown in the moment on stage where you're talking about something and then you say another ad lib line and you go, Oh, that's staying in, you know, and it builds like that over time or a whole routine where you go, I've got this idea and I, and I know the crux of the funny. And then you go to the new material night and in the moment you work it out, you go, Oh, there it is. Because there's that zone that you get into and then it works. But with but with act, but but definitely also I've written some great routines by sitting at my laptop and going okay typing just typing and going because it it comes out it's like an instinct when you go in a direction you go okay I'm just going to just going to write and there's an imp inside your brain that just goes eh let's veer to the left on that and you go that's funny that's funny and you go, okay right back back okay so we're just we're walking down the road and then, and then you just veer off again and that's and I don't know what that is that's just a natural I think that's what makes us comics in the first place is the fact that your brain always goes, just takes a left turn. And it got me in trouble when I worked at the series fraud office, you work in an office, you know, and they're sitting there holding a meeting and you're the one just going, "Uh, you said duty, (laughs) 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 you know, you're just sitting and they just go, that is not appropriate for the workplace. You go, I am in the wrong workplace. Were you ever told off for cracking wise in the serious fraud office? I definitely, um, I definitely got called up a couple of times, but it wasn't for cracking wise, but it was for calling people out and not respecting the hierarchy. 
Okay. So I had a real issue with the hierarchy because I would come in and go, so let me get this straight. You are my boss, but you left school at 16, worked your way up into this position, haven't studied any of the recent, you know, uh, forensic stuff. I've just come off the back of a forensics degree and a consultancy with city of London police. And you want me to cut and paste Mm -hmm. because you don't understand what a macro is in Excel. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got in trouble. I did genuinely get in trouble one week because he gave me a week and I had to do like a hundred witness statements. And they're all witness statements are literally, I opened this evidence. I did this with the evidence. I yeah. changed the tag. Here are the numbers. I put it back in evidence. So it's something that from a spreadsheet, if you just put all that data in, mm-hmm. you could have it spit out. Mm-hmm. You could just write a program and spit out. And I went, okay, I'm going to have to do this many times in my career. I will write a macro and I will maintain the spreadsheet. And then every time I need this type of witness statement, boom, there it is done. And genuinely at the end of it, um, because I, I was on Thursday, I was going to print and sign on Friday. That was my, I had a week to do it. And on Thursday, the guy or Friday morning, the guy goes, listen, you've had a week to do these witness statements and you haven't done a single one. And I went, no, no, watch, I'm going to do this. And he got me and he said, and I showed him, I said, look, here's my spreadsheet. Here's my macro clicked print out they all pop and I went now I just have to sign them and, and put them into put them into evidence and he looked at it and he went and he got mad and he pulled me out into the corridor and he said listen we cut and paste around here okay we cut and paste if you had done 20 a day you'd only have 20 left to do today and he just completely went over his head I went I've just printed 100 witness statements 100 signatures I put them in evidence I am free for the afternoon yeah. I don't understand what you don't understand. he just didn't he couldn't fathom what I had done cutting and pasting though has led to so many errors where you cut the wrong evidence number for the wrong the number of errors in witness statements that he was making that the whole department was making because of the stupid cut and paste thing you know, you look away one second, you've got a hundred lines and you're supposed to you know, just that kind of insanity. And I would call that out and they were going, you're not respecting, you're not respecting the hierarchy. And there was a woman that came in, they had a consultant come in because classic, you know, Tories, they would have a, a consultant come in because we were wasting money. We were wasting money in the department. And one of the budgets that they had is all of us would get like 300 quid a year for, for improvement, for, for education. Mm-hmm. And if we did it, for our job, if I went and bought a bunch of forensics books or got went on a forensics course with that 300 quid, it was tax free. But if I wanted to buy cookbooks to learn at home, they would tax it. But otherwise, we all had this education budget. And she said, well, the first thing that needs to go is the education budget because that's costing X thousand a year. And I went, how much are you? Aren't you a thousand pounds a day? <laughs> <laughs> you for a month is our education budget for the year. Why are we... Why don't you, you should quit. You should say, the first thing you should say is, well, don't hire me and you'll save some money. So it was that, that's the kind of trouble I would get into. <laughs> <laughs> have you, before we, 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 we must wrap up. Have you encountered that kind of systemic kind of stupidity on the comedy circuit or in your comedy career in any facet of it because those those things are clearly like you are very smart and you can look through that stuff and see it and go bang this is the issue and respond to it have you needed to kind of apply that within comedy or is that what you love about comedy is that there isn't that kind of I, oh, I'm trying to think of specifics. I think we all have. I think we've all come across situations where you go why is it being done this way or not? I mean a generic example yeah, I'm not, not asking, I mean, I'm not asking you to talk yourself out of any work here. Yeah, but. no, I mean, no, I think, I think that, 
you know, I think that I'm a huge fan of working together. I'm a huge, so, um, I'm, I'm doing a gig in Friday in Norwich. So I looked up the lineup and called around and said, is anyone driving? Can I give you petrol money mm-hmm. rather than all of us individually make our own way there? You know, little things like that. You know, there's just the common sense of, mm-hmm. you know, how can we do this together? But there's always, I think it's different. I think it's more emotive in comedy. It's going to be where a promoter does something a particular way because they do it that way. And you go, that makes no sense, but that's their way of doing it. But you can't argue with the individual. That's one of the interesting, fascinating, frustrating things about comedy is when you're not getting booked, you know, comedy is supposedly a meritocracy. If you're funny, you'll get booked, but, but funny is subjective. So it's a meritocracy based on a subjective premise in the first place. Very well put. Very well put. Because it is, it's not not a meritocracy, but who are the people who are assessing the merit? Exactly. Perfect. And so the, you know, so the number of times we haven't been booked for a particular gig or you can't get on a particular show and though, you know, and, and they can say, because it's illegal to say we're not booking Rhea because she's brown. Can't say that. We're not booking Rhea because she's a woman. Illegal. Uh, she's not right for the show. Mm-hmm. there's no room we, we we didn't feel that she fit and you go but you know underneath it is it because I'm a brown woman and you don't have brown women or you feel you have too many women like under there's all of that going on but you can't say it you can't go it's because I'm a woman you can't say it because they'll be like no 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 it's just that that's not the flavor of the show or well we have enough women that's a classic. We have enough women. Um, do they make up 50%? No, but yeah, just all of that. I mean, this is a, we're getting to the end of the podcast. We're only just starting on these sorts of topics, but, uh, you, it's human. I think it's human, human. You find it everywhere across the board that humanity is going to come in the way of a system and screw it up because humans are not systems. Systems are systems and humans are humans. I love a system, though. I mean, that's the thing. That's what autistic people are. We are people that just go, if this was a system... Can you apply your autistic superpower and love of systems to uh, fixing that for comedy? What's the solution? Well, given that it is, it's made up out of humans, and given that it doesn't have any official oversight, and like you, we've talked about these kind of proper job situations, where although they might be frustrating, one would think there is at least a structure. People are giving you money for training materials, or they were at one stage. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a superstructure, and in comedy there isn't, and partly that's why we love it, and it's wild and free, and what have you, and partly the freeness of it is what attracts people to it who are, you know, less desirable, you know what I mean, or, or have, uh, you know, who, who are kind of bad faith actors within comedy. So what would you, what would you apply? What's the solution? What's the problem? Um, the issue of meritocracy and the assessment of merit. Well, I mean, well, you would have to assess, I mean, you know, you would have to have a benchmark, wouldn't you? And our benchmark for many, many years was the comedy store. That was the benchmark. They hold a special place in my heart, the comedy store, and, and they have, they have ways of doing things that I don't disagree with. You know, if the number of times I've seen it myself or an open spot who's only ever played in pubs and only makes 30 people laugh a night would go into the comedy store, which seats 400 people and they would make 80 people laugh. Yeah. A night. And they would come off and go, I smashed that gig. I smashed it. Because 80 people laughing is more than they'd ever heard laugh before. Because yeah, yeah. they've only ever heard 30. But you, but when you go, no, actually, honey, you've only made 20% of the room laugh. Yeah. You need to make 100% of the room laugh. And I think that that's, I think 
I don't know if you can fix it because comics, there's a certain self-awareness that's required. I, I mean specifically the assessment of merit, the prejudice in the assessment of merit. I don't disagree with what you've said, but what I mean oh, is well, how... Oh, well, cut do... this bit out, Nathan. That was useless. No, sorry, no, no, sorry. no, 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 that was good. No, 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 that was a good answer. But, yeah. I, but to so, drill down, what I mean is... What do you mean? How do we... How do we fix comedy? How do we fix sexism and racism in comedy from the point of view of someone who uh, is smart and appreciates systems? Is there a systemic solution besides, I mean, well, you know, what, what's the solution? It's too complicated because right now it's all about representation and it's about, you know, do, you know, are we considering a proportional representation system? Because a number of, and they're not wrong, a promoter who doesn't book many women or who, you know, will have many all-male lineups, will often get called out. There are people on Twitter who go, this is an all-male lineup. It shouldn't be an all-male lineup. But if you actually look at the numbers, we don't have 50% female comics and 50% male comics at the same level as we see it, this hierarchy sure. that we've spoken of. So do they book 50-50 because that's what's fair in society and that's what their audience is comprised of? Or do they book according to the proportions of what exists? If it's eighty well, percent male comics and twenty percent female comics, do they book eighty twenty? No, it should they should book the first one because the, the what we're trying to do is shore up the deficit in the number of female comics who can headline a Right. A gig, right? So yes. that number is smaller than male comics who can headline a gig, I think. That's fair to say. It is smaller. But but it, it's only gonna that's only gonna change when more and more women start doing comedy it's like cycle helmets but that but that isn't a meritocracy issue the issue the, we have to then look and and we've just started we have to look at the bottom end of the circuit the open mic circuit and go why are i think about the same number of men and women start comedy but the drop-off in women is greater than the drop-off in men. And why is that? What is the environment in which they are going into that makes it very difficult for them to justify putting themselves in that situation over and over again? And that's a me too question. Mm -hmm. I, I genuinely yeah. believe that's a me too question. Yeah. That what they're having to deal with and the crap that they are faced with as new female comics before they can get through that first stage and get to the point where they're doing open spots on our professional circuit, which is sure. where it gets, a, I hope to think, a little bit nicer and a little bit more professional. That's what we have to look at because it's the fact is, is that as you go higher and higher up, we're, we're seeing we're seeing a drop off and that's what we need. And it's bigger. It's better now, but we're behind because because it was so male and all of those men that were gigging in the 90s are still gigging. Yeah. And so we're still seeing that, but it is changing over time and we're seeing those numbers slowly address themselves. But what we need to do is look at the bottom. And that's why I was saying earlier is that we need to not step on each other when you're coming up through that circuit. You need to bond together. You need to bring each other through. You need to look out for each other because if you're lucky, that'll end up with you both being in career positions like Greg Davies and Rob Gilbert rather than trying to make it through on your own and then finding out at a certain point that you're actually quite isolated and alone. That is a perfect ending, except it ends with the sentence, isolated and alone, <laughs> which I don't feel sums up how positive no. the conversation has been. <laughs> uh, that is an awful, an awful last line. No, 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 no. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of atmospherically, just because Can the, the sentence... Can you add some music? Isolated alone. <laughs> <laughs> Great answer. Are you happy? With our recording? No. Are you happy in life and in comedy? I No, I knew you were going to ask that. Um... Uh, I'm aware of this question. I don't like the word happy. I think content, satisfied. I think these are all good words. I think happy is happy is 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 a moment. You you can only ever be happy in a moment, but you cannot be happy as a state. So I am not fully content because if I were, I would stop evolving. 
So that was Ria. Thank you so much to Ria for coming along. I really enjoyed that episode and it's just so uh, fun to hear someone apply a massive scientific brain driven by data and with no regard for whimsy, anecdotal emotion to actually go, no, 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 it's this. This is how it works. Thank you, Ria, for coming along. Go to realina.com to see how a website should be done if you prioritise ease of use and expediency. Very exciting. Follow her on the socials at realina.com and press two buttons. Bang, you're there. Amazing. Um, so thanks, Ria. Thank you to uh, uh, Nathan for uploading and editing the show. Nathan Wood. Thank you to Moz, the new logger. Your podcast consultant is Peter Dobbing. And uh, Emily Crosby, podcast mum, has now completed. I'm literally holding it in my hands here. That's me banging it on the table in a way I shouldn't. It says Uber Archive on this because I wanted to distinguish it from the last hard drive that said Archive and the last one before that that said this is the big one. Um, this is the Uber Archive. Now everything in existence, every trace of ComCom, the WAVs, the blurbs, the the images, the, the originals, the MP3s, uh, the logs, everything that we've got, we now have on here. And any day now, I'm going to tidy it up and sort it out. Any day now, you mark my words. Thank you to you for listening. Thanks for sharing, liking, subscribing, reviewing the show, smashing that like button and literally everything else you do. Tomorrow I'm going to record some uh, uh, pre-video videos, some little intro videos for the new Comedians Comedian Podcast YouTube channel, which is going to have actual content on it as opposed to almost nothing. So look forward to that. You can follow me on uh, Instagram at Stuart Goldsmith Comedy because I'm going a lot less viral these days. I jumped up by like 200% in terms of followers and it's dropped right off. Oh, the algorithm is fickle and unknowable. But um, there's going to be tons more stuff on there soon. And who knows, maybe by the time you hear this, I've had another 4.5 million uh, view hit. And maybe I haven't. And I'll be fine with that too. And here's a little postamble for you. It's a, a pre-postamble because I'm just going to say it quickly. I'm just interested in this. The Just the Tonic venues in Edinburgh, led by Daryl Martin, led into battle by Daryl Martin, are providing an all-female lineup. Um, Daryl says, let me, let me quote from the stuff I was sent. Um, here we go. I'm finding it now. Um... Daryl said that they uh, had booked almost entirely uh, female acts and then they thought they'd just go for it and make a thing out of it. As we were programming the Tron, he says, we realised without any intention the room seemed to be mainly female performers. So with only a couple of slots left, we sought out more to create an all-female venue. It's not the whole of the Just the Tonic things, it's just the Tron. But that's great. They weren't trying to prove a point or be political. The point is this happened because we chose a load of funny people to be in the space and it just turned out they were female. Make of that what you will. Over the years when booking comedy clubs, we've tried to make sure our lineups are balanced and I would say this: the way this happened goes to show the comedy industry is heading towards a more balanced ratio of male to female performers. It was definitely not that way 27 years ago when I started booking comedy, but these things take time to change. Without any real effort, he goes on, we have now got a fully female lineup in one of Edinburgh's finest comedy venues, all programmed with being funny as the first criteria. Well, here, here, and also, Daryl, great eye for a publicity angle. But um, isn't that good? Isn't that positive? That does feel like it's heading in the right direction. And uh, well done, to the man that organised it. Oh. No, hang on, that's fine because he's an ally and it's fine to be an ally. <laughs> just, it just struck me as funny. Well done, Daryl. And thank you for listening. Goodbye forever. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.